When Earthbound was released in the United States in June of 1995, its advertisements declared that this game stinks and included foul-smelling scratch-and-sniff advertisements. American audiences took this literally, and the release of Earthbound was less than successful. What American audiences were missing, however, was a unique and well-made game. Bizarre? Yeah. Memorable? Most definitely. Those that played it admitted that it completely defiled their first impressions. It would take some time for American audiences to come around, but some years later, Earthbound would end up on many critics' lists, including those that now call it one of the best Super Nintendo games ever made. Today we're going to be taking an in-depth look at Earthbound and all the reasons that make this old-school RPG unique. So join us as we look at why this game actually does stink and take a foul-smelling trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you happy and well. Hello and welcome to the 40th episode of our video game Nostalgia Podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week, we choose one release from the current week in gaming history, and we talk about it. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world, or what it gave back to it. Today, we're going back to 1995 to look at the North American release of Earthbound for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who I've always assumed is a huge fan of this game because he's always crying out for mother. He's my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, how are you doing? Well, Dave, I'm a little confused because I swear it was always you crying out for mom, except uh, when you'd be beating the crap out of me. <laughs> there was no beating the crap. Did we ever actually physically fight? I don't think we ever really did because there's so much time between us. I actually don't remember. Yeah, I don't think we did. That's a good one, though. Mother! Mother! Good song, actually. Ah, uh, that's yeah. Good, good, good point. Good point. Tell your so. children not to walk my way. <laughs> so how are you? I am doing well. Uh, just uh, you know, another day, another night, another podcast episode, ready to go. How about you? Same, same. It's been uh, it's been a good week. I think we had a good episode last week. I had a chance to listen back to it, which I like to do periodically to kind of quality check myself and make sure I'm not screwing up sound levels or anything. And I uh, thought we had fun last week and I'm excited to take that momentum into another week. So. Hell yeah, buddy. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so what have you been playing in the past week? I did a little bit more with Diablo trying to get on par with your level to not die every two seconds. Yeah, um, I, th I think I had a chance to play like an hour of that. What level did you finally get to? I think I stopped around eight because I didn't want to get like crazy far from where you were. Oh, no, I think getting crazy far would be fun. Honestly, running through it's fun. <laughs> honestly, running through it's fun. We need to finish Diablo one so we can move on to Diablo two, which is just leaps and bounds better honestly and still has a very devoted player base like they still hold ladders and yeah just diablo 2 is 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 way different i have friends that still play diablo 2 that still participate in the ladder tournaments that still uh do all sorts of things so uh run ahead i'd like to play through the game but you would hurt my feelings you know what i mean fair enough so, yeah, but just some Diablo, that's about it. Nah, I did a little bit of Rocket League as well, and uh, been doing a little bit of flight sim. Did a, a flight today from Detroit to Toronto. Nice. I actually reinstalled that the other day so I could test out it in VR, which I've not yet had an opportunity to do. It's a fun time. We'll have to uh, squat up sometime. Yeah, for sure. But I got that all downloaded and queued up and... and <clears throat> Ready, because I honestly, I, I started playing uh, Uncharted 4 
this week. I, I got through three or four chapters of that game. Uh, but mostly aside from that, I have been spending time with my virtual reality headset acquiring games and playing them, which it's it's a lot of fun. I really like I, I like it more than I thought I would, to be honest with you. You know, every time I get a new toy like that, it it's sometimes they kind of are gimmicky, like you play them and they're a lot of fun, but it starts to wane. And I'm sure at some point it would, but it hasn't yet. I I'm, I I step into a new VR environment and I'm like, ooh, shiny, like every time. It's still a lot of fun. Hell yeah. Sounds like it. All right. Well, moving on, we have a game to talk about this week. Earthbound. Are you are you familiar with the Mother series at all? I have some familiarity with it. I've never played it, but I do know the the basis. It's where Ness comes from and, and Lucas. Lucas. Yep. And uh, the father is a phone. <laughs> um, that that's that's about all I need to know. I, I like that your takeaway is father is a phone. Oh, brother. All right. Well, yeah. This the you know we talk a lot about pedigree. I, you know, I like to talk about where people come from and, and where people go. This game has a lot of pedigree, too, and it's connected to your like your favorite gaming series. I don't know if you knew that at all. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, what would that be? Well, you know, we got to go back today. Our story begins back in 1989 when Ape Incorporated was founded with, and I'm going to butcher this name, you could correct me, but I butcher all these names, Shigesato Itoi as its CEO. And I'm probably really butchering it and going to really tick someone off because Itoi is a Japanese copywriter, SAS, lyricist, game designer, and actor. And before I go into the game, I just kind of want to point out how important he is. So after doing the Mother series, he would start a website and a company that translates basically it's 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 English translation is called the Almost Daily Etoy newspaper, which published daily articles under the theme of creating good mood. And it's said that like I mean for literally since 1998 this art this website's been publishing daily articles, and it is it's it's a personal website because he started it. It's actually probably the largest personal website in Japan. Uh, Itoi was also a judge on the Japanese version of Iron Chef, so he's got a face that people know. And as a fun side note, he is an avid Monopoly player and president of the Japanese Monopoly Association. And he participated in the 1992 Monopoly World Championship and came eighth. So not a name that's known very well here on stateside, but a lot of people, I mean, very, very, very well known name in Japan. Stateside, though, is really only known for the Mother series. Ape Incorporated was founded back in March 1989 with the blessing of then-Nintendo president uh, Hiroshi Yamauchi, who wanted to support new talent in game design. Now, we've talked about uh, Yamauchi before, when Yamauchi decided to place a similar investment in uh, Satoru Iwata uh, when Hell Laboratory was... Remember, they bailed out Hell, Hell basically... Uh, yeah. who went on to do Smash Brothers. Correct. Yep, that makes sense. That sounds familiar now. But, you know, not everybody was keen on on the idea of, of Etoy doing a game. You know, originally, while Etoy was visiting Nintendo for other work, he pitched the idea for an RPG, a role-playing game, set in contemporary, time, contemporary times to Shigeru Miyamoto, who, of course, is like the face of Nintendo. You know, Mr. Mario himself. You know, Miyamoto met with him and praised the idea of doing a weird RPG, but he admitted to Itoi that he wasn't sure that he could pull it off. And there's a little bit of, of history here. This was coming during a time when companies were really pushing major celebrity product endorsements, and Miyamoto didn't really want to follow the suit. You know, Nintendo's really known for doing a lot of independent original IPs, and he was worried that... Etoy's involvement would be perceived as just a major product, you know, endorsement, a celebrity endorsement, and that it was going to get off on the wrong foot, right? Right. And so the next time that the two met, Miyamoto brought the documentation from a text adventure game, and he told Etoy that he would have to write similar documentation himself. And what he was doing was that he basically later admitted that he knew from his own experience 
that the game would only be as good as the effort that Itoi invested, and he felt that Itoi would not be able to invest appropriately the amount of time necessary around his full-time job, because he wasn't planning on making this his full-time job. Now, to his credit, Itoi reinstated his interest in developing a game, and he reduced his workload otherwise. So, in response, Miyamoto assembled him a development team and approved the project. This is kind of where Ape Incorporated got its start, and their first developed title was the first in this series, which was Mother, which was released in 1989. But today, we're here to talk about its sequel, Mother 2, or as it's known in the United States, Earthbound. Development on Earthbound started almost immediately. Though the game was also written by Itoi, it was made using a completely different development team than the original game, for, for whatever reason. I, I don't know why they did it. Itoi was one of the people who came over, uh, the composers came over, but mostly the, the, a new development team was used. Uh, it's said that most of this development team, I don't know why this little tidbit was shared, but it was, this development team was mostly unmarried and willing to work overnight, like long nights and never go home. Maybe that's why they changed development teams? I don't know. But for whatever reason, the development of this game, it took way, way longer than anticipated. And like many games that we've heard of in this situation, it came under repeated threat of cancellation. So because of this, morale at one point was super low, and the project was said to be in dire straits. In order to rescue it, Hell joined the project, and more importantly, brought along with it their most famous game programmer slash producer, Satoru Uwada. Now, we've discussed Uwada before. He, of course, is, you know, the main guy to come out of Hell Laboratories and would eventually become the president of Nintendo after uh, Yamauchi would step down. In fact, he would become the first president of Nintendo that wasn't related to the same family that Yamauchi came from in the history of Nintendo. So, you know, and he's credited with, with taking Nintendo through some difficult times, reinvigorating it as a company. So he's um, he is a very important person. A VIP, right? Yeah? Uh, I would say definitely a VIP. A VIP for HAL? <laughs> oh, my Lanta. Mm-hmm. So what we know about Iwata from that episode, and, and look, if you're curious about Satoru Iwata, all of our old episodes you can find anywhere you get your podcasts or on our website at www.memorycardlane.com. And it's the episode on Super Smash Brothers is where we last discussed Iwata. And it wasn't that long ago. I think it was last month sometime, so you don't have to go very far back. But what we know about Iwata is that he was a prolific programmer. and him joining this project pretty much resurrected it. Everyone was reinvigorated and exciting. I mean, here we have, I mean, he was, a, he was a programming rock star in this world at the time, right? So they divided up labor. Uh, Hell started working on the general game programming, and Ape started working on specific data, such as the text and the maps. Uh, all in all, Earthbound took over five years to develop, and it was finally finished and released to the world on the 27th of August, 1994 in Japan, before it was localized and brought stateside on June 5th, 1995. And so here we are in the first week of June, talking about Earthbound. And that's how we got here. There really wasn't a lot more on the development aside from that. Well, not every game has a, a lengthy history. Some are pretty quick. Well, and you know, this one also has the... I didn't, I, you know, I didn't elaborate as much on some of the, the people in it because we've already elaborated on it. I don't need to go into Awada again because we've already kind of looked at in depth about Awada in a different episode. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's true as well. Definitely. It all comes together in the end. That's right. So that brings us to Earthbound. We've arrived at the game quicker than normal, but here we are. So I will start by saying I remember Earthbound. Um, I played Earthbound. I liked Earthbound. I still like Earthbound. I I have familiarity with this game. This is the game I played for... Well, mo honestly, most games that we go into, I've already played. I have a pretty in-depth gaming history, I would say. Yeah? Yeah, I know. Earthbound is a game that takes place sometime in the 1990s, uh, right after the events of the first Mother. 
in the fictional country of Eagle Land, which is a parody of the United States. The player starts as a young boy named Ness, and as you had previously alluded to, you are familiar with Ness because he's a Smash Brother character, and he has been a Smash Brother character since Melee? Um, he was not in the original. Man, I knew this last time because I remember so much better. Uh-huh. But uh, no, it was... I think he was in the original. Was he? I don't think he was. You looking it up? Um, I swear that he was. Mm-mm. Yes, he was a an addition to the roster of the original Super Smash Brothers. Okay, well, color me wrong. So our game starts out with Ness, who is woken up at night by a loud crash, and he goes nearby to investigate to investigate a nearby meteor crash with his neighbor Pokey, and to find his neighbor's brother Picky. <laughs> Isn't it Pocky? Oh, yeah, Pokey. Yeah. It's Pokey and Picky. So, what they find is that an alien force, uh, Gigas, uh, has enveloped and consumed the entire world in hatred. And as a consequence, he's turned animals, humans, and other objects into malicious creatures. It's at this point that a small bee like character comes and tells this crew, basically, that he's from the future. And that Ness needs to collect melodies in a soundstone, it's called. There's eight melodies in these eight different sanctuaries, which is going to preemptively stop this force. At this point, Pokey and Picky's mother mistakes him for a bee, since she's a bee-like creature, and kills him. And that's pretty much the start of the game. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's, it's goofy as heck. So the Mother series are built on what Etoy considered reckless wildness, basically where he would offer ideas that encourage his staff to contribute new ways of portraying scenes in the video game medium. And he saw these titles foremost as games and not big scenario scripts. And he said he wanted the player to feel emotions such as distraught when playing the game. And alongside with that, his writing was quirky and goofy. It, it, look, it was weird. It's not your traditional RPG. You're not you're not in a fantasy setting. You're not wielding a sword. You're not going up against dragons and slimes and, you know, cuz at this time the Final Fantasies and the Dragon Quest of the world were the comparisons. It 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 is an RPG that defies all of the norms. So like the very first city is called Onet or one because it's one, and then two sin, and then three, and four sin. The damn cities are literally named by what number they are. In the first city, and the first, like the first enemies you come across are runaway dog, and spiteful crow, and a coil snake, and a skate punk, and a guy named Frank. I mean, like that's their in-game name. That's their in-game name. Yeah, the first enemy you come across is really runaway dog. No joke. And spite, spiteful crow is a is a crow wearing like shades, basically, literally a crow wearing shades. I'm not exaggerating that in any way, shape, or form. You know, interesting. Now I want to point out that Earthbound for sure it features many traditional role playing elements. Okay, you do control a party of characters. You do travel through a world of villages, cities, caves, and dungeons. And along the way, you fight battles against enemies and receive experience points. You receive enough experience points, your character will level up. So it, the, the core of it is a very traditional RPG. But it had all these elements that were very different from, like I said, the Final Fantasies and the Dragon Quest. You know, the, I keep going back to Dragon Quest because Dragon Quest and its battle system was an inspiration uh, for this game. So you'll see a lot of parts that are referenced to them. One of the things, for instance, was that it doesn't have an overworld map, which was very common against other RPGs. This just has one map that flows from city to city to city interconnected. I don't really believe that I would call it open world, but it it didn't, like I said, it didn't have the traditional overworld map. That's just not its thing. Its perspective was also very unique. You know, most of your games... 
you have a lot of RPGs that are 2D games, right? That's your early ones with your 2D maps, like like your first Final Fantasy and your Dragon Quest. Or you have, uh, you know, we talked about Super Mario RPG recently, where you have that 3D isometric view, right? Right. This game was one of the earlier ones that used oblique projection. So oblique projection is basically a type of drawing... Did you ever have to learn oblique pro- projection in engineering? Uh, I mean, I don't know it by name, but it might be like an isometric. Well, I mean, I know isometric. We literally just talked about that with Mario. I mean, it just doesn't sound familiar by name, but that doesn't yeah, mean... Right. I'm only asking because it's mostly... It's, it's, it's more common for technical drawing, but it's basically... It's a graphical projection used for producing 2D images of 3D objects. So, basically, it's... You know, the way we draw a house in 2D, but we draw the lines diagonally to show some depth to it. If that makes does that make sense? Kind of. Okay. Well, no, no. it's it's all right. It's a way of it's a way of drawing in 2D, but but demonstrating depth with 3D is, is oblique projection. It's the most simplified way I can I can go about it. So um so its perspective was unique, which, you know, along with its weirdness and its art style made it different from everything. Also, it doesn't have any random encounters. Now, I want to say that that doesn't give you carte blanche to not fight any enemies in the game. There are battles that you have to get in, and if you never go into a battle, you will find yourself severely out-leveled at some point in this game. So you ha- you have to you have to engage enemies and you have to fight to get experience to level up, but it it's not random. The moment you touch an enemy, you're drawn into a battle sequence. Uh, speaking of Ness's father, money in this game is not directly received. It, it's not like a traditional RPG where you fight and the enemy drops coins or gold or gill or whatever the heck you want to call it. Uh, in this game, each time you win a battle, Ness's father deposits money in an account that can be that can be withdrawn at ATMs throughout the world. And yes, as you had said, Ness's father is a phone. And where that all comes from is that's how you saved in this game was that you called your dad and you told him your story so far and he recorded it and that was saving your game. So Resident Evil, suck it. Earthbound did the phone thing first. Oh no, Resident Evil was typewriters. Damn it. Yep. Who nice else? Try. Who else uses? Uh, well, phone? I think that they use phones in the later games as well. Actually, I don't know. I haven't played much of Seven or Village, so I really can't speak to those. What? Man, they take place... Well, Seven takes place here down in the bayou. And like I said, I already alluded to weird enemies. You know, I talked about the ones just in the first town. You know, <laughs> no no joke. Here's some enemies as you go through the game. There's an annoying old party man. That's literally his, his name. There's a cranky lady that you beat up on. There are insane cultists and a mighty bear and Mr. Baddie. There's an enemy called Handsome Tom. There's one called Putrid Moldy Man and Smelly Ghost. There are mad ducks and worthless protoplasms. There are violent roaches and mostly bad fly. That's it. Mostly bad fly. I can't. Yeah, exactly. Right. And a shredding evil mushroom. Criminal caterpillars, gigantic ants, noose man. You fight a crazed sign. It's literally a street sign. That's one of the enemies in the game. You fight annoying revelers. You fight mystical records, a scalding coffee cup. You fight Salvador Dali's clock at one point, a filthy attack roach. Let's see what else. Anything else fun? Overzealous cop, tough guy. You fight a you fight a tough guy. Oh man, you fight the kiss of death and a high class UFO. That's a that's a nice one. A manly fish and manly fish's brother. Interesting. Oh good lord! So a lot of very interesting sounding characters in this game. But, you know, it's not just enemies that you fight. Like you said, weird characters. So, for instance, in the second part of the story is in, in the second town, Tucson, you rescue one of the party members from a member of the Happy Happiest cult, and you have to fight cult members. 
at one point to progress the story, you have to help free a band called Run- Runaway 5 from debt, and they help you, I believe, if I remember correctly. And I picked up my old save file, but it was past this point, and I didn't, I didn't start over because I knew we wouldn't have time to get through the whole game. You get them out of debt so they can go to the next town, and you hitch a ride on their tour bus, if I remember, if, that, if that's it. Oh, the Mr. Saturns. Those little small creatures that have huge noses, four whiskers, and that single hair with a red bow. You know them? They're in Smash Brothers. Yeah. They're from, they're from uh, Earthbound. Uh, you go to Saturn Valley and you meet the race called Mr. Saturns. That's where those guys come from. Gotcha. I, I honestly never knew that. I had no idea where it came from. Yep. Their race is the symbol of innocence in Earthbound. And as part of uh, helping out the Mr. Saturns, you have to fight a boss named Mr. Belch, which I thought was right up your alley. So, Sounds like it, yes. That, that, would, be, that would be my, uh, my villain name. Also, one of the other party members that the, I believe it's the last part. I don't believe the last party member that you pick up in the game is a young prince named Pooh, who has strong psychic powers. Classic. I know. Classic and classy, which takes me to magic. So we're talking about traditional RPGs and in traditional RPGs, uh, Diablo included, you have spells, right? You cast heal or you cast fire or you cast Blizzard, or or so on and so forth. Here in Earthbound, you have psychic powers. They're, they're P- PSI, psionic powers, or PK, psychokinetic powers, depending on the, the version of the game that you're playing. And these are the magic of the Earthbound series. Mm, you that's know. what PK Fire and PK Freeze meant. But now you get it, huh? Yeah. Yeah, you were you've been doing those moves in Smash Brothers for so long you had no idea what they were. I mean I didn't really use NAS, but I just okay. know people spammed PK fire, PK fire, PK fire, PK fire, PK fire. Yeah, psychokinetic. That's where PK is. So this is the magic this is the magic of the Earthbound series. So instead of having spells, we have sonic powers. You have recovery psionic spells like healing and life up, which is your resurrection spell. You have assist uh psionic spells psionic powers like defense down offense up you have offensive psionic powers like pk fire and pk freeze which you're already familiar with and then there's a class of psionic powers that they just label as other psionic powers which are things like your um teleport telepathy basically your like um map type traits kind of like how pokemon has cut for instance is not one of the things you can do in the map yes Okay, so it's that same kind of thing. That's what the other sonic powers are. So, so yeah. So you just you've got a lot of weird, you've got a lot of weird things. But and this is going to be spoilers. So you know, if if you ever want to play this game, honestly, with as old these games are, I don't really feel like these are big spoilers anymore. The last boss, Gigius, is it, it's one of the most notable end bosses ever because it's different. Um, so, you know, the story is, is that the kids have to go to the Soundstone because Gigius is going to take over the world and, and everything. But in the course of it, they find out that they have to basically time travel to defeat him because they can't, but they can't time travel in their current form. And so they transplant their souls into robot bodies willingly, even though they know that they may never be able to transplant their soul back to their normal bodies. So they transplant themselves into robots, and they basically go to fight this last boss. And he basically, like, his henchman goes down and unleashes uh, Gigius, and they get, like, warped into this chaotic dimension, which is basically just, like, it's him. You're basically, this dimension is just his own being, and you're stuck in there, and so, like, the background is just, like, psychedelics. Like, there's no boss. You're just kind of in this weird waving screen type thing. The problem is, is that at this point, he's he's now too powerful for anyone to defeat. And so one of the party members begins to pray and reaches out to Earth. And then the prayers of everyone at Earth, like, they hear, they respond, they start praying. And basically, the prayers come back to where they are. And they reach Gigius, and would, and they basically they exploit his weakness, which turns out to be human emotions. 
and as a result, he vanishes from existence. People of Earth, lend me your power. Goku, spirit bomb. Yeah, pretty much, but like, but not a spirit bomb, because on all these boss battles, you basically do, ha- you have to throw out the entire arsenal to defeat the, the bosses. Like, you just, you, you, you literally fight, you throw everything at him, and by the time you get to this point, like your last boss, you don't fight him. You don't fight him at all. You fight his henchmen, but you don't fight him at all. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Once you get into him, like, he just, he makes no sense. He is saying weird things, and it's creepy, and it's surreal, and it's it's bizarre. One of the fun facts about that last boss is that its inspiration comes from a childhood experience that Itoi had, where basically he walked into a pretty decently well-known Japanese horror movie that's not really stateside. And he basically walked into a murder scene, but he mistook it for a rape scene. And it had such a profound effect on him that came back to him as he was developing this boss. And so the airiness and the surrealness is basically, he said to have channeled like the feeling that walking into that weird scene brought to him into this last boss. And yeah, there you go. So. Wow, that's kind of dark. Yeah, it is really dark. So Earthbound is a really freaking bizarre game. Yeah, no, the the characters and the story and just the, the overall, like, everything about it just uh, definitely seems odd. It is. Well, one of the things that <clears throat> is most notable about this game is that its reception has changed over the years. Uh, it was pretty much a flop when it first came out, but then it wasn't, I guess. It, it's become a cult classic, and I'll get to that. But one thing that I want to do today, which I think... It, one thing that I really want to do today is go into reviews. And what I did was I pulled reviews that were both contemporary back in 1995 and more modern when... Earthbound was re-released for virtual consoles because it was last on the Wii U virtual console. So we could compare and contrast how people thought of it then and what people thought of it more so now. And kind of before I go into before I go into all the reasons why there was a change, I kind of want to use these as a reference point. So Rob, a little earlier than normal in our conversation, but I'm going to have you jump in here and take the helm on some of these reviews. Why don't we start out with the contemporary ones, which are reviews from back when it first came out? Well, first up, we have Super Game Power, who says those expecting a Dungeons & Dragons-style RPG will be disappointed by the childish visuals, which were unlike other 16-bit games. They wrote that the American humor was too mature and that the gameplay was too immature. As if for beginners. Yeah, that that is a good point, and one that I really didn't get to yet. The graphics are basic. You know, this was later on in the Super Nintendo cycle, and you had a lot of really, I mean, Super Mario RPG, you had a lot of really good-looking games, but the weird characters were drawn weirdly. Not like they were crap, but they just were basic because it was, it's just the style of the game. The game has a very unique art style. So uh, what did GamePro have to say back then, Rob? They said that they gave this game a mixed review, commenting that the lack of a convincing storyline and the dual NES clone graphics will make serious RPG fans a little cautious about approaching Earthbound. They said the saving graces are the fairly good music and hilarious adult humor, but added that the humor is too mature for little kids. And the gameplay too immature for older gamers so both of them seem to feel that the humor was in a weird place that it was not quite childlike but maybe a little more childlike than adults may like that fair i mean it just sounds like the the, it's like many child cartoons now that you look back and watch them as an adult who knows the innuendos and you just see how many of these jokes that were not meant for the children are in there but it's still aimed towards children all right, well, I picked you out a pair of contemporary reviews from way back when. Let's compare it to some retrospective reviews from the now. What did IGN have to say about the recent Wii Virtual Console release? 
Well, they said that during an introspective moment, Earthbound reminds us that there are many difficult times ahead, but you must keep your sense of humor. That quote represents the seminal role-playing game's tone and pacing. It skillfully juggles a noticeable juxtaposition between moments of almost punishingly difficult battle against a dark Lovecraftian apocalypse and silly lightheartedness, and never makes you wait too long between them. There's a lot of really big words I'm happy I got on the first try. <laughs> yeah, that was a big, a lot of big words. Uh, all right, what else do they have to say? Move, move, keep, keep it up with the good words. Sure thing. They go on to say Earthbound entertainingly wraps traditional RPG tropes in its 1990s setting. The party wields children's toys like yo-yos, baseball bats, and toy guns to do battle against stray dogs, hippies, skateboarders, and plenty of other foes. I forgot about the hippies. I also forgot about the yo-yos. It's absolutely oh, the true. Is great. That's that's Lucas's that's number Lucas's, one tool, yep, man. It is. Yeah, you're right. No, you're right. I just, you know. Gosh. I'm not a yo-yo thrower. And Lucas, to be fair, is from Mother 3. Ness, uh, Ness and I are baseball bat people, so. Fair enough. IGN continues to say that despite its age, Earthbound introduces innovations that, even today, feel incredibly smart and unique. The party's health, for example, is represented by scrolling number wheels. Rather than having hit points instantly depleted with each enemy attack, the character's wheel slowly spins down until all the lost hit points have been deducted. That's, that's very true. They finish up this review by saying that Earthbound is one of the most bizarre and memorable RPGs they've ever played. Though its punishing difficulty in its early stages might be tough to get past, Earthbound still remains one of the best, most unique RPGs to date. That is very true. You know, I, at this point in my life, back then, I was huge into RPGs. It was probably my favorite genre. I wanted to play every one. You know, so I I played all the Dragon Quests and Final Fantasies and Mario RPGs and Breath of Fire. Um, I, I played all those games, but I couldn't tell you the storylines for most of the classic ones or the enemies other than like Dragon Quest Slime. And, you know, parts of Final Fantasy have, have gone into this day, but I can't tell you a lot of specifics of those games. But for whatever reason, probably because it's so bizarre and memorable, Earthbound has always stuck out in my mind. Like, I may not remember every little detail, but I remember it. And I remember it very distinctly because it was so distinct. You know, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I also pulled you one more review from Nintendo World Report. What did they have to say? They had to say that they went into Earthbound expecting the heartwarming quirky, well-written RPG that all of their Earthbound friends have told them it was. And it most certainly lives up to that reputation. What they didn't expect was a battle system that is still better than most modern ones, one that threw aside many staples of the genre to do something different and exciting. They could gush for this entire review about the fun characters, great writing, and awesome music, but they would much rather expose what many people tend to gloss over in their love of the game. The excellent battle system and control options. The turn-based battle system uses a combination of rolling health counters combined with automatic skill progression to create a system that seems simple at first glance, but has a surprising amount of depth. Although, more than anything, it respects the player's time, allowing you to essentially skip low-level random battles entirely by having the enemy flee or simply giving you an automatic victory. This reduces grinding to a minimum, and the addition of restore points make the often unexpectedly difficult boss encounters simple to attempt as many times as you want, with little repercussion. They finish it up by saying they've tried to delve into the game many times over the years, but the combination of having it up on their big screen with the guide freely available and the addition of restore points have exposed to them what they consider a true Earthbound experience. And trust them, it's an experience worth having. I forgot... Uh, but it's very true. If you're overpowered and you hit up a low-level enemy, they just run away from you. That's I don't... freaking awesome. Yeah, yeah, it does. It really gives you the the feeling that you're powerful in a way that uh, other RPGs don't. <clears throat> also, as a side note, I'll get to it. But yeah, the sound, the sound engineering in this game is freaking awesome. The soundtrack is awesome. The sounds in the game are awesome. It's said to be one of the reasons why it was delayed as it was because they slowly had to fit it onto bigger and bigger cartridges if you've never had a chance to just go and google you know go on youtube and look up the earthbound soundtrack or even look up a playthrough 
of Earthbound and just click on a few moments, you're you're always going to find a very unique music. You'll find a very unique game. I honestly think this is a game people should experience. You know, we we got the critic reviews, but I always like to get player reviews too. I pulled some really fun uh, user reviews <laughs> before I move on to talk more about the game. <laughs> why, don't, why don't you hit some of these up for me? First up, we have Vance from Moby Games, who says that somebody must have gotten a group of five-year-olds together, fed them acid, and then made frantic arm motions while screaming, You're going on an adventure! You're going on an adventure! And then wrote down everything they said afterwards. The story is tweaked, the dialogue is tweaked, even the items. The whole thing is surrealism, as expressed by a kindergartner. To top it all off, every new area tends to be genuinely interesting to explore, and the admittedly simple gameplay never gets in the way of the sense of discovery. Overall, a fine RPG for a collector. I did not think that review was going to wind up the way it did. Honestly, listening to how you explained the game, this is what I thought was, was this game designed by children? Because it seems that way, but I, I like the, the, I mean, I don't like because that's child abuse, but the thought of children being on acid and, and creating a game, it's an interesting thought, nonetheless. Well, it's just weird people creating a weird game, so... All right, what's the, what's the next uh, next review? Next up from Moby Games, we have user Primusferl, who says that Earthbound has many redeeming qualities. For one, the setting and subject matter were really unique for a console RPG at the time. Whereas most RPGs up to that point had been pretty standard swords and sorcery fare, Earthbound was set in a world very clearly inspired by the United States. The main character, Ness, wore shorts and a baseball cap, wielded a baseball bat as his main weapon, and was from a small rural town that would remind any American player of similar such towns. The twist, though, was that an alien entity known as Gig Yes had invaded, and his influence was causing humans and animals alike to, be re- to behave irrationally and often violently, especially towards Ness and friends. What results is a bizarre yet entertaining take on the United States. The setting feels a lot like Bizarro USA. What would happen if one looked at the U.S. through a Japanese lens and added some weird stuff to it for flavor? Weird is probably the best word to sum up the game in general, but in the highest sense of the word. The game's charm lies in that weirdness, and its quirkiness. The game is quite simply hilarious. There is always some weird joke or spin on an RPG convention that will make many players at least crack a smile, if not laugh out loud. From Picky Minch trying to cast a magic spell early in the game, to all of the moles in the desert mind claiming to be the third strongest, to rummaging through trash cans to find hamburgers, Earthbound was full of funny and or strange moments that gave it personality and a unique charm that is very difficult to explain, but easy enough to understand when experienced. They're not telling you anything I haven't said before. It, it's weird. It's quirky. That's why I like it. That should come as no surprise. But not everyone uh, likes this game, do they? No, they do not, Dave. I there's always you, dissenters among us. There are always dissenters, and sometimes the best, best reviews come from the dissenters. So I have brought you one today from Andrew Taylor here on Moby Games. Rob, what did Andrew Taylor have to say? Well, Andrew Taylor had to say that this is where it gets interesting. It has NES-ish graphics. Even worse in Super Mario World, they say. And a lack of animation. I mean, come on. When a girl kisses Ness, it just says, smooch. In Super Mario World, when Peach kisses Mario after saving her, she really kisses him, not just smooch. When Venus kissed Ness, I wondered whether she smacked him or kissed him. Square could do better music, and besides, most of the music is not original work. The instrument sampling quality sucks. Heck, even the story sucks. Go see the Seven Secretaries and defeat Gigas. What a ripoff, the original Sonic the Hedgehog storyline. Oh, and there's even a site fully dedicated to Earthbound. Starman.net, that is a sucky site. Everybody there, all they want is a freaking game called Earthbound. Why Chrono Trigger is one multi-million times better than sucky old Cursebound? Yes, CT came out the same year, 1995. I wish Square did this game, then it would rock. But Halkin did it, so it sucks. Don't get this game. You'll be affected by the Earthbound disease. Your mind might reject this type of disease. Don't get it on eBay. The game is too expensive there. In fact, even if you were offered this game for free, don't get it. I want to save every one of you from this horrible game. Oh, that's uh, 
someone's super uh negative there super salty yeah yeah i wonder uh i, I guess they just were really bad at the game or didn't get the jokes or something well, who knows yeah it uh <laughs> yeah yeah there are a lot of influences in the soundtrack a lot of influences in the soundtrack which is why he said that it's not even original like influences like the beatles or crap i don't even know i know the beatles is the, a big one but you hear a lot of you hear a lot of other stuff i remember that because it was said that the licensing for this stuff was one of the reasons why they could never bring earthbound you know to modern consoles and then um and then they did so go figure right go figure go figure yeah so they got the beach boys uh smile album inspiration uh frank zappa uh brian eno crap there's just all sorts of weird stuff in there so as we talked about you know we kind of looked at reviews before and reviews after i want to talk about there's a lot of reasons why it's believed that this game failed in the united states and one of the things that it's thought of is that it had a really weird marketing campaign. I remember this marketing campaign, actually. I very distinctly remember standing in the gaming aisle of a Kmart somewhere and finding the advertisements for this game. And the advertising campaign stated that this game stinks. Literally, it was, it stinks. And they were scratch-and-sniff advertisements with the most awful smells like vomit and fart, if I'm not mistaken, were among the scratch and sniff cards that you could find. I, wow. I, yeah. <laughs> so, so basically, you're telling you're telling American audiences that the game stinks. I mean, like, not everyone's gonna know that it's scratch and sniff stinks because the game is weird and it brought things. I mean. When you fight things like Mr. Belch, you know, having a vomit scent isn't isn't a far cry, but people didn't know that, you know? Very true. So it just uh <laughs> it just it just was really, really weird. And it only sold about a hundred and forty thousand copies stateside. It sold more than twice as much in Japan. Of course we know that stateside typically they sell a lot more on in, in the United States than Japan, so it was just State-wise, it was a, a absolutely commercial flop. But why the change of heart? So, basically, fan translations, you know. Mother had never come over here, and Earthbound came over here as Earthbound. But, you know, as time went on, the emulation crowd started to really ra- go around this, and fans came up, and then the first game was translated, and then they brought Mother 1 and 2 to the Game Boy Advanced, and... And basically, you had people wanting to play the game again. And I think also society kind of changed. People are definitely more open to weirdness nowadays than they were back then. And yeah, I just I I, I think that the combination of the fans wanting to clamor it and then people just being onto weird, you just you had a change of heart over time. Also, when it first came out, we all probably took it literally. It probably took a long time for people to realize it was more of a par- <coughs> excuse me, a parody. I don't really think in the 90s parody was a huge genre yet, but it is nowadays and so it, you know, from the cultural standpoint, people recognize it more for what it is than what it was. Cuz when you take it at face value as a straight up RPG, I mean, it had solid battle mechanics, but it's just weird. You're always role-playing swords and sorcerers, you know what I mean? Sure. And then all of a sudden you have an RPG that's in a modern setting. But as we noted, you know, the soundtrack is really notable. One of the composers on it was Hip Tanaka. Tanaka also worked on Metroid, uh, Super Mario Land, Tetris, uh, Dr. Mario, and of course here on the Mother series. Hip Tanaka is best known... now as the current president of creatures rob do you know what creatures is uh that uh, does not sound familiar to me so creatures is one wait hold on hold on hold on hold on no no that 
Game Freak? Yep. Yeah. Pokemon. Pokemon. So Creatures is one of the three companies who, along with Nintendo and Game Freak, founded the Pokemon Company. So basically what happened was after Earthbound came out, Ape Incorporated disbanded, and it was reformed as Creatures. And they would go on to help Hell, or Game Freak rather, they would go on to help Game Freak make the early Pokemon games. And Creatures, what Creatures is best known for is they're the, they're the part of the Pokemon company that created the trading card game, the, you know, PTCG, so. Yeah, no, that, that's the main reason that it sounds familiar. It's just ironically looking at my cards the other day, and that's why it sounded familiar. Yep. Yep. Jump in the gun before I remember things. So that's your, that's your pedigree. Ape Incorporated made the Mother series and disbanded and then reformed with the majority of the same staff minus Etoy as Creatures. And they would, you know, later go on to help Game Freak out and eventually would found the Pokemon company with Nintendo. The three of the three of them are the three mainstays of the Pokemon company, Creatures, Nintendo and Game Freak. Heck yeah. The other thing I want to make a point of with Earthbound is I think that it's very easy to see, even if we don't look at it the same way, that Earthbound has been influential on a lot of modern RPGs that are set in a real-world setting. So a really modern example that I think breathes, emits everything Earthbound is Undertale. Do you ever have a chance to play Undertale? I have not played that either. I know about it, but yeah, yeah, I've not played it. Undertale is another absolutely bizarre, weird RPG set in a more modern setting that pretty much directly takes inspiration from Earthbound. Uh, Costume Quest is another, and one of the other more notable ones is the South Park RPG series. Parker, Trey Parker, pretty much... Um, is it Trey Parker? Trey Parker, Matt Stone. Matt Stone, Trey Parker. So basically, they've directly come out and said, hey, Earthbound is pretty much one of the main inspirations for, you know, these games. So, yeah. So there's a lot of Earthbound, a lot of Earthbound in the modern, and I would very much recommend playing it because it is, it's weird, but cool. The music is cool. The gameplay is cool. And it's... I don't know. I, I like I said, I picked it up, found a uh, saved file that was in the middle of the game. You know, picked it up for a few hours just to refamiliarize myself with the game. And even all these years later, it's still a lot of fun. It's it's a lot, a lot of fun. It is a game that, in my opinion, has aged very well and is still very much worth picking up. Most notably, it was included on the Super Nintendo Classic Console as one of the games on it. So you can get your hand on one of those. You can play it. It's also on the Wii U Virtual Console. Or, of course, not that I condone pirating, but uh, I think nowadays it gets played most often through emulation. And uh, there are different versions, different translations. Nation. They've also translated the first mother, and uh, there's a fan translation of the third mother because it was never brought over to the United States. So you could potentially play the whole series. I've never played the third one. Never finished the first one, though. And that's Earthbound. That's 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 my game. Yeah, that's all yeah. there was to it. <laughs> Rob, I wanted to ask you a question, so I'm going to move right into the gaming question of the week. Since since it's believed that this game failed because of a weird marketing uh, advertisement campaign, I, I wanted to ask you the question of of all the ones in your lifetime, what to you has been the most memorable ad like gaming advertisement campaign that you can remember? Like right off the top of your head, what sticks out? Absolutely nothing. Really? I hate ads so much that I just block them out entirely. Like I'm sitting here trying to think of like an actual like advertisement. I can think of like game reveals where I was like, holy shit, this game reveal, that's awesome. But off the top of my head, I can't think of any game. Actually, no, that's not true. Uh, it was now that it just randomly popped into my head because it was so annoying. And I was just always like, "What the hell? I what? What is this game?" It was Rayman Raving Rabbits. That's a good one. That's that's the one. Yeah, yeah. Those things were so obnoxious, and every time that commercial came on, I was just like, "No, what? Why?" 
even though I love the Raymond series prior to that, I, I never got around to playing it because the commercial was just kind of weird to me. Granted, I should still give it a try, but I just never got a copy of it. But that would that would be it for me. Mm. What about you? Well, I remember these scratches of cards, and of course, we've talked in the past that I very much remember Mortal Monday when Mortal Kombat came out. More modernly, I'd have to say maybe like the Halo ARG uh, when the what was it the second Halo or the third Halo was released. They did that online I love bees thing. That was Halo, wasn't it? I'm pretty sure I it was Halo. No idea what you're talking about. You don't know what the Halo I love bees are ARG is. I can't say that I do. Do you know what an ARG is? I do not. So ARGs are alternate reality games, which it, basically I love bees and I'm st- I, I, I popped it up real quick. It was Halo 2. It was an alternate reality game that basically like through the Internet and stuff, they they kind of teased part of the game and, and, and did stuff. If you ever get a chance, you should look it up. Really fascinating thing that they did. Players would solve puzzles and get backstory on it. And after you know, in 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 after a while, it was revealed to be a viral marketing campaign for Halo Two. Yep, I love bees. Halo Two, that's the one that sticks out for me. Interesting. There you go. Well, you know, people go online for all sorts of things nowadays, and you don't have to go online for an alternate reality. You can go online for our reality. Most notably, if you'd like to learn more about us, check out our old episodes, find out where I get my research from. You can do so by going to our website, and that's found at www.memorycardlane.com. Also at www.memorycardlane.com, you can find a calendar for upcoming episodes. You can learn a little bit more about us. There's also links to join our Discord community and uh, support us at our Patreon. For only $2 a month, you can support our podcast. And like I said, you could do so either at the support page on our website or by going to patreon.com slash tripdownmemorycardlane. What else can people find on our website, Rob? Well, Dave, they can find cool pictures of you and I, some information about you but not me, And of course, links to our social media, where I can be found on twitch.tv forward slash F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P-Z, streaming whatever I feel like when I finally feel like doing so. And Dave, what about yourself? I can be found on Twitter at David underscore is underscore wrong, that David, David, that's David is wrong, where I wish happy birthday to video games and complain about various things things and that's about going to do it i think that at that point i we're gonna wrap up today's episode so in our new tradition uh let's start by going around rob since every week we like to teach our listeners something new about our games what it gave to the world or what it took from it what did you learn today I learned that Earthbound is way crazier than I ever thought. I mean, the the characters and the the actual storyline and just there's just so much oddity in this game. It's actually something. It's kind of kind of compelling me to want to play it. You know, I know you don't spend a lot of time on single player experiences anymore. I mean, I feel the same way. Our our time is precious, and we like to socialize when we play video games. So I get it, but I do think I it's fun. It's it's not weird in a boring way. It's weird in a fun way. It's a solid RPG built around just a really surreal everything else. It's like I said, I think it's still worth a playthrough. I'm trying to think what I learned. I mean, I I I didn't know that Ape Incorporated would eventually become creatures. And, and become part of the Pokemon company. That was a, a huge like thing for me. I did know a little bit about eToy, and of course I knew about the game. So that, that, that stuff wasn't new. It was really fascinating to learn, though, about uh, eToy and Miyamoto's early interactions. I didn't really know that Miyamoto had so much influence on this game in the beginning. But he, you know, it's not really surprising since this was a Nintendo game. 
and Nintendo, you know, pretty much everything that went through Nintendo back then, he could pull the plug on in an instant. So I just never really thought about it, I guess, is the point. But he approved it, so here we are. So that'll do it. That's what we learned. And before I take it out of here, Rob, what uh, what what else would you like to add to today's episode? As always, I just want to take a moment to say thank you to everyone who is listening. Uh, it means a lot to us. We do this every week, but uh, we continue to want to do it. We continue to want to bring you more and more. And I hope that you are enjoying what you hear. So join our Discord. Join our Patreon. Message us. Let us know what you're thinking. We'd love to hear from you. Very true. See, I cut you off there, but, you know, when I hear words that are true, they just need to be echoed. So, yeah. So, thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to us week after week and and giving us your input and everything. And don't forget to join our community and come come play games with us. That's that's what we're about, too. We like to play games. So, all right. Well, I'm going to take it out of here, you know. Next week, next week, next week, Rob, you know, at a glance, it's really hard to believe that our next week's title, Harvest Moon, would be a successful gaming series. You know, as one reviewer put it, it's an RPG about farming. Talk about a hard sell. And I have to say, he's right. It's a very hard sell. But it's not. And for some reason, Harvest Moon is insanely popular. And the Harvest Moon series is still going strong to this day. So that's where we're going to be taking a look back at next week. Nothing nothing fancy. I, I mean, Dave, I, I got to say before you finish us out here, you say that it's a hard sell. Um, on Farming Simulator 19 alone, I have 200 hours. Yeah, I knew. I was going to talk about that next week. So yeah, All right, we can cut that out and wait till next week then. No, no, no I, that's good. We're going to be looking next week. We're going to be taking a look back at the Harvest Moon series, or actually, as it's now known, the story of Seasons series. We're going to talk about that and why there are essentially there's there's literally two different Harvest Moon series nowadays. It confuses people about which is which. So we're going to talk about that, too. You know, before there, we're going to go all the way back to June of 97 for the first one. So join us next week as we sow the earth on next week's trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. Do do wa do do wa do wa do wa da.